Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com. The final countdown, all right, to heavy petting here on Cliffcentral.com with myself, Leanne Mole. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you do want to call into the show, remember you can call us on 0861 555 Today on Heavy Petting, Peanut, the dog who's taken the world's ugliest dog title this year. Um, gay bears who love oral sex, believe it or not. How you can creep, or how, why, sorry, you can't creep up on a crab. And how a hyena escaped lions by hiding inside an elephant. We also chat to Cassandra Barbosa from Animal Lovers Project Swing or Alps, along with Leanne Posthumus from Bromov Vet to chat to us about the Animal Welfare Project in the Etuatua Township on Gauteng's East Rand. Let's get it straight into animals in the news this week. <laughs> and it's dear old Ugly Peanut. He's a two-year-old dog called Peanut, and he's been crowned the world's ugliest dog at a contest for freakish-looking pets in California. This isn't the first time. Um, I think they're into their 60th year or something like that. It's incredible. Um, the, this mutt is thought to be a Chihuahua Shih Tzu mix, um, and be contenders with hunched backs and patchy coats to take the top prize at the annual gathering of ugly pooches on the planet. Now, Peanut's owners and the judges agree that Peanut's wild, wild white and brown hair, his bulging eyes, and his protruding teeth belied a sweet and energetic personality. Let's just put it this way. Peanut has no idea he looks this ugly. He behaves completely normally and smiles at the cameras. He's too adorable. His uh, story is quite sad, though. His owner, Holly Chandler of Greenville, North Carolina, says that he was seriously burnt as a puppy. Um, but she wants to use her pet to raise awareness about animal abuse. Um, she's got prize money from this, $1,500, and she's going to use it to pay for other animals' veterinary bills. If you remember any of the world's ugliest dog uh, finalists and winners, the one that stuck with me was also a Chihuahua cross um, that was with a protruding tongue that kind of stuck outside of its mouth permanently. And there was also a duck-footed beagle. Uh, there was a boxer and basset hound with um, a bit of a waddle. Um, and, yeah, a chihuahua with a missing eye and a camel's back. A lot of ugly dogs. I'm really protective of my family, but... He's totally hairless. No teeth and hairless. The world's ugliest dog competition is not for the faint of heart, but at least you can be honest here. You can say it out loud here, that dog is ugly. ugly. Oh, that's an ugly dog. <laughs> I think she's cute, but, you know, really, if people were honest, not so much. Quasimodo's been known to wow. scare grown men onto the top of their cars. Quasimodo of Waxahachie, Florida, is a real specimen, half dog, half hyena. Well, at least her face is pretty. Oh, yeah, beautiful eyes, beautiful gold green eyes. Give kisses. It could hurt you, though. Her face is pretty. Well, she's got a wart above that eye. I hope you saw the wart. <laughs> You're asked not to let his teeth scare you. But it'll take more than warts to stop this dog, Peanut, from Greenville, North Carolina. He's a shelter rescue, a victim of abuse who was burned in a fire. Well, he doesn't have lips anymore. His eyelids were also gone. And so he can't close his eyes, so therefore his eyes water. Um, the tears drain into his nose, and so he has nice little snot bubbles because of it. So it's great. That adds to his character. Great backstory, but really, it's his shocking face that wins the prize. In first place, Peanut! my baby, but um, I guess I just don't see him every day as being that ugly, but I guess the judges thought so. He's totally hairless. No teeth and hairless. The 
world's ugliest dog competition is not for the faint of heart. Oh, poor Peanuts. Well, at least he's won some prize money for his mom. He'll be spending it on other animals' vet bills. Okay, everyone, time to put on your big kid hats because we're going to be talking about oral sex. Birds do it, bees do it, but bears do it a little differently. A pair of male brown bears at a zoo in Croatia have been engaging in oral sex and lots of it. Over the course of 116 hours of recent observation, the animals engaged in fellatio 28 times. If you work that out, calculate a time. That's about one act of fellatio for every four hours, with each act ranging in duration from one minute to four minutes. So why would these animals be engaging in this kind of sexual behavior? Well, the likely explanation is that the bears were orphaned at an early age and prematurely curtailed suckling. And it turns out that there's several other animals that enjoy oral sex too. Here's Katie Wayne from The Animalist. Two male brown bears who live together in a sanctuary in Croatia were seen participating in regular oral sex over the course of six years. The smaller of the two bears would initiate, and once the receiver finished, he often pushed the other bear away with his hind legs or turned away. Why he's so cold, though? Oral sex is actually rather common in the animal kingdom, so today we're going to count down the top three animals that have oral sex. Number three, lions. As a part of their courtship ritual, females can be seen licking or rubbing a male's genitals. When they're in heat, a lioness may try to mate up to 100 times a day. I mean, damn, girls gotta do what a girl's gotta do. Number two are female fruit bats who perform oral and vaginal sex at the same time. Normal fruit bat sex only lasts around two minutes, so by continuously stimulating her man, a female fruit bat can convince him to keep going for an extra minute and a half. And while that may not seem like a lot of time, each added second of sex increases a fruit bat's chance of getting pregnant, which is important in the animal kingdom. And number one goes to the bonobos. For these apes, sex is more than just reproduction. In fact, it plays a huge part in maintaining their female-run society. Sex is used as a greeting to communicate emotions and as a bonding activity. Even juveniles who can't yet reproduce will copulate just for fun. If you ever thought our society was overly sexualized, try living with bonobos. These crazy apes have penis fencing matches, not unlike humans. <laughs> and of course, have oral sex. Yeah, so you've heard it. Fellatio has been documented in a whole lot of animals, including primates, spotted hyenas, goats, sheep, cheetahs, and the short-nosed fruit bat, as we heard. Well, a new species of snake, dubbed the wolf snake for its distinctive long fangs, has been discovered in Cambodia's remote Cardamom Mountains. The snake's checkered black and fawn colouring is highly distinct, and the camouflage may be why it's remained undiscovered for so long. From the Fauna and Flora International Research um, Group, Niang Te found that the snake on a trip to the mountains himself. He says it is non-venomous, but they have long, large teeth in the front of their mouths like a wolf. He says it's a small snake, 41 centimetres long, it's still not known what they eat, but it's suspected that its diet consists of geckos and frogs. Well, speaking of snakes, did you know that snakes have two penises? I'm sorry if heavy petting sounding really petty today. <laughs> it's heavy. Um, there are some incredible snake facts, though, that uh, you may not have known about. These are from Earth Unplugged. Hi, I'm Maddie, and welcome to our top 10 snake facts. Snakes don't have eyelids, but how do they blink? Well, they don't. Never. Instead, they have a protective transparent film over their eyes called a brill, ocular scale, eye cap or spectacle. This lens also forms part of the skin, which is shed along with the rest of it. 
From the northern edges of Scandinavia, where grass snakes who hibernate to escape winter's chill can be found, to the sun-baked deserts of Australia with its venomous death adders. You name a habitat and you can be pretty sure a snake will live there. Some have also evolved to thrive in the most unlikely of places, such as the imaginatively named Himalayan hot spring snake, who can be found keeping warm in Himalayan hot springs. Whilst they are remarkably sensitive to most stimuli, snakes have completely done away with their ears and in fact any visible sign of hearing. Yet according to researchers, snakes don't have one hearing system, they have two. The lower jaw of a snake is formed into a rigid cylinder and when sound vibrations are picked up through this bone, they travel to a cochlear mechanism, a sort of inner ear, where those vibrations are converted into electrical pulses and transmitted to the brain to be translated. The smallest snake is the thread snake. When fully grown, it measures a paltry 10 centimeters long and is as thin as a piece of string. By contrast, the reticulated python is the longest, with specimens recorded at up to 28 feet, a true giant. While snakes do have a nose, they don't use it to smell. That is left up to its tongue. Flicking it rapidly in and out, they collect airborne particles on it, which are in turn passed to the Jacobson's organ in the roof of their mouth for examination. Analyzing the range of scent chemicals found, this highly sensitive organ can determine the presence of prey or predators in a snake's environment. And with the tongue being forked, it also gives the snake a directional sense of smell, allowing it to detect whether prey or predator is to the left or right. As well as size, snakes come in a vast array of colours, from the excellently camouflaged gaboon viper from Africa, whose diamond-shaped patterns and grey head mimic the dead leaves in which it waits to ambush its prey, to the US coral snake, who simply tries to stand out. Snakes are well known for their venomous capabilities, but out of nearly 3,000 species, only 600 of them are venomous. Some venoms not only immobilize prey, but will also start the process of digestion before the snake has even begun to eat their meal. Constriction is used by numerous snake species to kill their prey. However, the snake does not crush its prey to death. Instead, they hold their victims so tight that they can no longer draw breath resulting in death by asphyxia. With help from humans, snakes have also invaded areas that are thousands of miles away from their natural homes. The brown tree snake, commonly found throughout the South Pacific, is now equally at home on the small island of Guam. It was accidentally transported here as a stowaway on a cargo ship after the Second World War. And as a result of abundant prey and no predators, the brown tree snake population here exploded and the island is literally crawling with them. Two penises. Yes, two penises. Quite why males feel the need to double up on appendages, only they know. But the penises, or hemipenis, as the collective tackle is called, is unique to reptiles. And while they have two to choose from, only one is used at a time, which indicates that males might alternate penis use between copulations as a way of increasing sperm transfer. Okay, I think it's far too much sex on this show, honestly. Enough now. We're going to take a break. When we come back, the hyena who escaped lions by hiding inside an elephant and the woman who hopped the zoo barrier to sing to the lions and give them cookies. Back next. Every time the two get undressed, I hear sin. 
symphonies in my head. I wrote this song just looking at you. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, the drums they swing low and the trumpets they go. Trumpets, Jason Derulo, you're listening to Heavy Petting on Cliff Central. You can message the show directly if you're listening on WeChat, or if you're not, you can still uh, message the show. Just go into the Cliff Central account on the WeChat app on your phone and click Message to Show, um, and then we'll see your messages come up here on a screen. We're carrying on with animals in the news this week, and a southern Chinese city has kicked off its annual dog-eating festival over the weekend obviously amid a fierce backlash by animal rights groups. Activists estimate that about 10,000 dogs are slaughtered at the summer solstice event 
in which thousands of locals and tourists consume barbecued, stir-fried and boiled dog meat served alongside lychees and grain alcohol. This year, of course, social media campaigns had a strong showing. A small but dedicated band of animal rights activists also dampened the festivities. Many locals resent the backlash as an unwarranted moral stand against a deep-rooted and technically legal tradition. They claim that eating dog meat on the summer solstice confers health benefits that last throughout the winter. Animal welfare groups says that, say that the dog meat trade is inhumane and unsanitary. Well, a South African named Peter Tim, you may have heard of him. He's a Trimex diver who discovered the last remaining coelacanth in the world back in 2000 has died in a tragic diving accident. Tim was diving at a depth of over 100 meters to recover a piece of technical equipment which had fallen off a research vessel near the Alawal Shoal near Umkamaz. Tim grew up in the Free State farmlands, so you'd probably bet your Borovos role that someone like him growing up on the Fluctors would have been the last person to find a coelacanth, but he did. If you don't know, coelacanths are ancient rare fish, and they typically only live in ocean waters at a depth of 100 meters or more. The dark underwater canyons of Sadwana Bay in northeastern KZN are one of the few places on Earth where the coelacanths have been found. And speaking of discoveries, a newly discovered dinosaur known as Mercury Ceratops Gemini. The dinosaur reportedly had unique bony wing-like protrusions on top of its head. Here's Laura Gores from Newsy Science. It's the newest name in dinosaurs, and it might have some of the strangest headgear to date. Paleontologists recently discovered this new dino, now known as Mercury Ceratops Gemini. It's a horned dinosaur with unique bony wing-like protrusions on top of its head. It kind of looks like the Triceratops we know and love, but about half the size at about 20 feet long and weighing around 2 tons. Oh, and of course, that crest on its head. According to the team behind the discovery, it's unlike any other scientists have seen before. The Los Angeles Times quotes lead researcher Michael Ryan, who says, We would never have predicted this from our experience with working on horned dinosaurs. It's modifying an element of the skull that's never been modified before. And according to NBC, it likely had more than one practical use, like identifying other dinosaurs, protecting itself, and of course, attracting mates. Here's Ryan again. So if you can add an extra wing or an extra frill on the side of that, make yourself even more elaborate and ornate than your buddies are, chances are you're going to have the best uh, pick of the herd. Now, as for that name, those aren't just random Latin words. The mercury in Mercury Ceratops comes from the Greek god Mercury, who, not unlike our new dino, wore a winged helmet. The Gemini comes from two different fossil finds, one in Montana, the other in Alberta, Canada, that led to the discovery of the new species. In all, the name translates to Mercury Horned Face Twin. Story you've been waiting for, the hyena who managed to escape lions by hiding in an elephant. This hyena, native to Mara Naboisho Conservancy in Kenya, jumped into an elephant carcass when it spotted a group of lions. The lions then stopped for a bite to eat, eating the elephant around the terrified hyena. They didn't pick him up at all. Nature conservationists and guides watched in fascination as suddenly the hyena decided to make a break for it, outrunning the pride. Right as he began to slink out, one of the lions saw him. But fortunately for him, a gorged male lion is not the quickest of animals, and he escaped successfully. Somebody else who escaped successfully, rather stupidly, was um, a woman at the Memphis Zoo. Officials have banned her after saying that she climbed over a barrier to the enclosure where lions are kept and tried to feed them cookies. 
The woman's actions were reported by other zoo patrons who saw her jump the barrier and heard her singing to the animals. After the barrier, only wire separates the guests from the lions inside the enclosure. The zoo says the woman's behavior was dangerous for her and the lions, and she says the woman won't be allowed back into the facility. Time for our Help a Horny Friend section, all about rhino poachers and what's happening there. Um, some, what some would say is good news is that two men have been sentenced to 12 years imprisonment each for rhino poaching. That's at the Napuna Regional Court in Nampopo, which imposed the sentences on the two Mozambicans after a shootout between a group of poachers and Kruger National Park Rangers in February last year. During that shootout, three rhino poachers were shot dead, while these two Mozambican guys managed to escape. The men were tracked down and arrested in Lulekani and Palabora, respectively. Each was in possession of a fresh rhino horn when they were arrested. And we continue the conservation conversation with a report that scientists are calling one of the most comprehensive studies of great white sharks. And they're finding that their numbers are surging in the ocean off the eastern U.S. and Canada. That's after decades of decline. The scientists behind the study attribute the resurgence to conservation efforts, such as a federal 1997 act that prevented the hunting of great whites and also greater availability of prey. Meanwhile, the WWF has raised the alarm over plummeting elephant populations in Mozambique after an aerial survey showed ivory poaching is decimating herds in the country. Between 480 and 900 elephants died in the North Kiribati Reserve between 2011 and 2013. A wildlife protection agency, meanwhile, says it's time for the same frontline tactics used against human traffickers and drug gangs to be used against poachers. They're asking for more talk and less action, or more action rather than less talk on poaching. It's at the start of a global conference of 1,200 delegates in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, organized by the UN Environment Programme, or UNEP, to discuss a range of green challenges. I think it's time for another break. When we're back, doggy style. What you been doing? What you been doing? Whoa, whoa, I haven't seen you around. How you been feeling? How you been feeling? Whoa, whoa, don't you bring me down. All that stuff about me being with him. Can't believe all the lies that you told. Just ease your own soul, but I'm bigger than that. No, you don't have my back. No. Well, I'm sorry that he called me and that I answered the telephone. Don't be worried, I'm not with him. 
heavy petting on Cliff Central. I'm Leanne Mole. Thanks so much for listening. Um, we're into the doggy style section of heavy petting. All very sexual today. I've said it before. Oops. Sorry, Mum. And a story quickly about a pet dog who scared off a bear to save a Japanese boy from attack. A placid pet dog was uh, being hailed as a hero this week after saving the five-year-old boy from a mauling by a wild bear in northern Japan. The dog is a six-year-old Shiba Inu and took on the meter-high bear after it attacked the young boy during a riverside walk with his great-grandfather. The dog barked unusually loudly and chased off the animal, and uh, that's uh, the, the boy was left, however, suffering slight bruises and was taken to hospital but released on the same day. And uh, the boy's 80-year-old great-grandfather was a short distance away, raised the alarm, but didn't need to because the dog, six-year-old um, Migo, which means cute, hardly cute, usually calm and timid, chased away a full-grown bear. Still on doggy style, we spoke earlier about Peanut, who is the world's ugliest dog hold, title holder this year for the first time, um, and he's part Chihuahua. So in honor of Peanut, we've got uh, a pet collective's dog, Doglopedia, which has a feature on Chihuahuas and some stuff that you might not have known about them. Freed in the whole wide world. Oh my, I'm so nervous. I'm lively and alert. Sometimes I get so excited that I shake, and strangers can make me nervous. I'm really protective of my family, but not the best around small kids because I don't do well with teasing. Sometimes I nip back. Once kids are old enough to understand how to handle me, I'm a wonderful pet. Just remember, be gentle. Yo soy muy poquito. No one knows where I come from, but I am believed to be one of the oldest breeds in the Americas. The Aztecs considered us to be sacred. We were also used as a hot compress. We were placed on aches and pains, much like the modern-day heating pad. We lived to be 14 to 18 years old. We are the smallest dog in the world, growing to a proud 6 to 9 inches. Weighing 2 to 6 pounds, look at the big brain on me. We chihuahuas have the largest brain in the entire dog world. Well, in comparison to our body size. Start training me from day one. I can be easily potty trained, but other than that, I'm difficult. Training sessions should be short and free of distraction due to my brief attention span. Oh, squirrel! I'm compact, which makes me perfect for apartments and urban surroundings. But please don't forget to give me lots of exercise daily. Let's recap. I'm active, a little jumpy, and teeny weeny. I'm great for the family as long as the kids are a little older. I'm one of the oldest breeds in the Americas. I can have a lot of health issues, but trust me, I'm worth it. Training me won't be easy, but I do well in urban areas and need lots of exercise. Public speaking is not my strong point, so let's go for a walk. That's in honor of Peanuts, the world's ugliest dog of 2014. Um, very sad story behind Peanut, who was burnt as a child, as a child, civil there are children to me, Waha, um, as a puppy. Um, and, uh, the money is being used, um, by his mom, who, who's won the prize money, to pay for vet bills for other animals. And speaking of, um, kind acts of kindness like that, we've got Cassandra Barboza from Animal Lovers Project Swing, or Alps, together with another Leanne, Leanne Postumus from, uh, Bromo Vet, or representing the other Leanne. All right, let's get this straight. Mm-hmm. All right, so there's there's the Leanne who's me, then we've got Cassandra. Thank goodness she's not Leanne. And we have Leanne who's representing a vet who couldn't be here named Leanne. Correct. Okay. <laughs> All sorted. Thanks so much for being here. 
Pleasure. Hi, Leanne. Thank you very much for having us. So, Cassandra, it's a, it's a project that you run that we're speaking about today, a little bit about Etwatwa Townships Project. Can you tell us more? Sure. So, Etwatwa is about uh, 30 kilometers outside of Benoni, heading east. So, it's literally on the Mpumalanga border. Um, and it is a huge township. It started off as a squatter camp sort of growing out of Davyton, which was the main um, area out that way. But it's grown tremendously um, to, to the extent that it's got um, certain uh, residential areas in it that um, we service. So it's unfortunately too big for, um, for one organization to, to deal with. And we've chosen um, <clears throat> one of the uh, um, uh, sort of less um, developed areas called Imapupeni, where, where we do our work. And this project started in January 2012, formally, um, with a youngster in the community um, mm. who I had known for many, many years, and uh, who reached out to me and said, look, you know, uh, we love our animals just as everybody else does. Unfortunately, people think that in the townships we don't love our animals yeah. because we, we can't really look after them. And um, he started sending me photos on his cell phone of animals that he had gone to to see, you know, taking a stroll off to school and this animal needs this kind of help, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I decided why not. Um, I had done a lot of volunteering in the past for other organizations and I decided, well, maybe it's time we actually set up something set up your own, dedicated yeah. to our backyard. Mm. Um, so so we, we went ahead and we started off small. And uh, I, I actually can't believe uh, where we are 18 months later. It's yeah. amazing. There's been so much growth. I mean, when I came along as a volunteer by yeah. meeting Dr. Leanne at the Bromov Vet, I heard about this project and I thought, I have to get involved. These people are doing amazing work. What were you doing before this? Uh, I actually work for… Okay, so you… This yeah, is I work full time, time, so I've actually taken off a day's leave because I'm so passionate about this and Gosh. supporting Cassandra and the wonderful work that she does. And seeing the difference that they've made to the people as well as the animals in the township is absolutely amazing. And as Dr. Leanne said to me on Sunday, um, we celebrated her 30th birthday on Sunday, and she's an amazing woman. She said, I used to, when the animals came in, uh, Cassandra and Barbosa um, and her husband, Jose, would drop them off. They'd be thin and skinny, and now I have to put them on diet because they've been so well-fed, they have to go on yeah. diet. So just from a vet to see the difference that they are making in the community is absolutely wonderful. And on behalf of Dr. Leanne, who I'm presenting the um, Bromhoff Vet, based here in Ramburg, Bromhoff, they do all the vet work. So they will go out with Cassandra and her team. They spay. Um, neuter, vaccinate, deworm, and actually look after the health of the animals. So and they're doing this for free? Absolutely for free. Absolutely from, from the bottom of their hearts. It's absolutely amazing. And that's why me as an individual, just it's so amazing. And I'll, I'll do anything to be part of this program and do food collections with my friends and colleagues and go out and help them wherever we can because you can see the difference it's making in the community. So. So have you had donations or any form of funding that's helping you along with this? So that's that's the biggest challenge. And when we say for free, we obviously offer the service to the community for free. Um, but the vets do have to cover their costs and material and that sort of thing. So there is there is a hefty uh, vet account um, mm. that, that, that we run. And um, amazingly enough, Bromov Vet um, can carry that for us because it is quite steep. Um, we also have a vet in Benoni, Benoni Central Vet, who's just recently come on board, and they help us with the emergencies when it's um, when it's you know we can't get them here quickly yeah. enough. Um, so donations, Leanne, it's um, <clears throat> we try um, you know <laughs> we started off with individuals. We've recently in the last year. 
um, received our NPO registration number. So together with that and the fact that we are BEE um, approved and recognized as well, and we've now recently got our SARS number as well. So now that the admin is like it's, it's all been a year and a way, get there. we can, oh no, you yeah. can't believe it. We can actually go armed with that and equipped with that to, to corporates and say, please, can you help us? Because our biggest need, I must be honest, um, are obviously funds for the vet account, but bigger than that even. Um, is is donations of food mm. because one of the things that we do do that differentiates us is we we've selected um, a number of animals that we can we can sustain and look after because um, aside from the mass spay days that we go in and do we we stay in touch with the community on a weekly basis okay and by that I mean we we answer emergency calls um, anytime anytime oh. somebody phones me. And says, right, um, a dog has just been hit by a car. Yeah. You know, I go out there. Um, that's the kind of uh, um, relationship we have with the community. I drive out there at 7 o'clock at night. It's actually fine. I'm a lot safer there than anywhere else in Joburg, believe yeah. it or not. Collect the dog, bring it through, etc. So that is a service that the community does not have. The SPCA um, doesn't do that. They do have their opening and closing hours, and there's a constraint. So I, as an individual, can choose to do that. So that's definitely a service they didn't have in the past. Um, are you ta- you're not taking any of these animals home with you, are you? No. <laughs> are you starting a collection at your house? Oh my gosh, my husband's listening and he's <laughs> waiting for this answer. Uh-huh. No, we we uh, look, Leanne. We don't have premises. Yeah. Okay. So it's um, always the biggest issue. We don't have premises um, at the moment. Obviously, infrastructure and finances don't allow for it. But over and above that, we want to make a difference to the community. Yeah. So. The key is to educate. Yeah, that's it. Right? Um, we only remove an animal with the owner's permission, because obviously we, legally we can't, um, if there is a situation really that, you know, they can no longer look after the animal or mm. they give it up willingly. But our, our, our motto is not to remove an animal from their environment. Yeah. So we try and rehome. Sometimes animals are unwanted. They go to another owner in, in the community. And the kids and the youngsters involved um, find these homes. We rehome. Um, we, we had a lady who actually raised uh, puppies whose mom had been hit by a car, and she raised them from hours of, of, of after birth. And we taught her how to feed them, bottle feed them. And she raised them. Those pups are now six months old and due for sterilization. Mm. So um, that's that's what we do. Yeah. We really try not to remove them. And um, over the last two years, Leanne, we've probably had a sum total of about five, five six dogs that we've um, removed and rehomed. Mm. So, again, very, very different approach to what most organizations do. Well, speaking to, <clears throat> not to myself, but to Leanne, who's representing Dr. Leanne from the Romhof Vet. <laughs> Is is Dr. Leanne the first type of person, the first vet that does this type of thing that you've ever met? I think there are more. There are because we often have spay days and there are volunteer vets that come and help us so, and they do something similar in their areas. And um, 
I think the relationship between her and Cassandra started a few years ago when she was practicing in the East Rand. Mm. And um, now that she's got her own practice, she's continued to support the Alps because it's so close to her heart. So obviously there's a big need for vets out there to do this type of work. And we also have other vets um, like the Four Ways Emergency Hospital who have helped us as Alps um, when we have to refer an animal from vet, um, the Bromha vet. And so there there are definitely vets out there who are supportive of this. We need more of that. Um, I think in our country and what's important is that Cassandra and them have a wonderful young man he's busy with his matric now Ernie who I can ma- I'd love to mention who we are hoping will study towards becoming a vet so he is based in the township and we work very closely with him and it's myself and Cassandra and Dr. Leanne's dream to put him through vet school mm-hmm. um, and we're applying for bursaries as we speak um, and to one day our dream is to have a vet in the township, which is unheard of, because the closest vet to the Atwatwa area is 30 kilometres away, and hence why Cassandra will be called out in the middle of the night to go fetch an animal and bring them through all the way to Randburg, so yeah. we can take care of them. So that is really, and it's all about educating the people, educating the children, educating this generation about how do we treat our animals, and, and I truly believe that by doing this going into the future, things will change for the better for the people and the animals in the townships. And already there's a massive difference. Yeah, it's really you wonderful. Actually, you can actually see the change yeah. in the two years that we've been there. You know, when I say little Tandu, mm. who's grown up with us, mm. and, and how he um, has an influence just in the street that he lives, just um, uh, with his peers. Um, it, it's amazing the empowerment that they feel and 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 um, the work that they – the message that, that gets out there um, – the people themselves, uh, the elderly who have got maybe ideas about how they treat their animals and how, and it's all to do with trust as well, Leanne. Mm. You know, the fact that we keep going back. That's it. Um, yeah. That they can depend on us. A, as you say, it's a relationship that it's you've built up. Absolutely. You know, it sounds so cliched relationship, but it's all about trust. It's um, almost it, as if you, you're working more with people than you yes, are with animals. Yes. That yes. is it. And Ultimately, we arrive yeah, and the hugs and the kisses yeah. from the children and, yeah. and they bring their little puppies. It's really, it's when you leave there and you're doing it for the animals, you have touched the lives of children. And mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's just such a blessing. I to think be able you to do guys it. are amazing and to do what you do, um, takes a lot of hard work, a lot of bravery. But, um, I'm glad to hear that after only a year and a half, you're already seeing, or two years, Absolutely. you're seeing a lot of differences. Okay. So if people want to get involved, volunteer, Give money, give food. What can they do? Okay, so um, the first the first point of contact, are, uh, we we are on Twitter um, um, at Alps underscore Z A. So um, and then our Facebook page, Animal Lovers Project Swing, um, and our YouTube uh, channel. The channel we've got a YouTube TV channel. So there, people will get an idea because visually, I think that's where the impact is, and certainly the videos will show the work we do. So. Um, any any form of social media we're on there. Um, otherwise, my number, which you you can publish afterwards as well. Um, and yes, I I will put them on. We've got a couple of um, volunteers, core volunteers with specific roles. So depending on what you'd like to do, whether you want to volunteer or whether uh, you've got a trust fund that you'd like to donate from, etc., um, you contact me and um, and and we'll take it from there. And if I can just mention that on coming up on the 
13th yeah, of go July. Ahead. 13th of July. Yeah. We've got a spay day. Because our Dr. Leanne Kleinhans, bless her soul, um, is pregnant. So oh, she wants to, she wants to spay as many animals <laughs> as she possibly can before the end of the year. So we've actually split it up. 13th of July, we're aiming to do 50 to 60. And then on the 28th of oh, September, another 50 to 60. So we can get our 120 in. Um, so yes, anyone yeah. out there who would like to join us, and I extend the invite to you, Leanne, if you'd like oh, to join absolutely. us. It's I love an amazing on my, experience. Putting on my dog walk shoes and doing stuff. Yes. And it. you know, it's it's the week of Mandela Day, so yeah. we'll do it. Oh, there you go. Of that. So, so you'll, you'll if you guys are looking for something to do for Mandela Day, minutes, yeah. please come along and diarise that date. Oh, and that's um, yeah. And if people okay. don't have time, you can just do a food drop. Doesn't matter how big yes. or small, if it's a tin or a can, at the Brahma Vet. Um, then the corner of the Tuohi and Ostrich Street in Bromhoff, then that's mm. really a, a wonderful. So yeah, we give out, don't fall off your chair, we mm-hmm. give out 850 kilograms of food every month. Sure. To try and collect that as a nightmare. It's like elephant food size. Yeah. And that is 6 kgs times 150 dogs. So it really yeah. is not much. Yeah, it doesn't work yeah. out so much at all. Yeah. Oh, guys, I really, I'm in awe of what you do. Thank you so much to Cassandra Barbosa and also Leanne Postumus. Or is, is it Dr. Who's representing Dr. Leanne? Does Dr. Leanne have a surname? Clay Hans. Oh, there we go. <laughs> and she's writing one of her honors subjects as we speak. Yeah. So yes, that's why she couldn't be here. <laughs> Thanks so much um, for chatting to us about Etwatwa Township. And um, I think if you can write down those details for me, and then I'll tweet them as well, so we can awesome. get Thank something so going. Much. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, why you can't creep up on a crab? Lately, I've been, I've been losing sleep. Dreaming about the things that we could be But baby, I've been, I've been praying hard Said no more counting dollars, we'll be counting stars Yeah, we'll be counting stars Just 
Heavy petting on Cliff Central um, with myself, Leanne Mole. If you're not listening on WeChat, then you can also listen on cliffcentral.com. Um, and uh, if you're on WeChat, you can message to the show as well. It's a little little function called message to show, which you can uh, send messages to us. It pops up, up on our screen. And uh, you can also call, if you like, 0861 It's time for What's New Pussycat. And today with What's New Pussycat, we've got how cat purrs can heal people. That's right. Cats purr vibrations are medically therapeutic for many diseases. Cats purr lowers dyspnea symptoms. It's also really good for promoting bone strength. It's all got to do with the, the hertz and things and the, the, the vibrations and, and it's very scientific stuff. It also lowers blood pressure by interacting with cats and hearing the purring sound. And I've actually heard of many programs um, where either in old aged homes um, to to lower blood blood pressure of of, of patients of patients there they've introduced cats to the homes and also in prisons where they've got prisoners who simply stroke the cats and it brings down their levels of violence and testosterone. It's also a stress reliever as we know if you go home and pet your purring cat it calms you down and lowers your stress. Cat owners have 40% less risk of heart attacks. The vibrations are also great for healing tendons and muscles. Um, I don't know if I can get my cat to sit on my Achilles tendon for long enough, but I can always try. And also healing muscles, the cat's purr can heal infection and swelling as well. Okay, a story I mentioned earlier, which we're now getting to, is that um, you can't really creep up on a crab. We've all tried it. (laughs) They run away. And how do they see us? How do they sense us? Well, crabs have got a sort of inner ear that helps him to hear their nearby predators. And this has only been found now by American scientists. It's an organ called the statocyst. It was previously shown to play a role in crustacean balance, but apparently now they've found it's also used for the crab equivalent of hearing. Well, we also wanted to know a little bit more about crabs, and that comes up at the end of this clip. But first, which animals live longer than humans? This is something that Maddie Moat and Simon Baxter from Earth Unplugged have investigated and will answer your question. There was an orca found off the west coast of America, who's thought to be 102 years old, and a sturgeon caught in Wisconsin, who's thought to be 125 years old. Wow, that's amazing. But the longest living mammal, they think, is the bowhead whale. 
Researchers have found ancient harpoons in their blubber made from stone and ivory. And these harpoons haven't actually been used since the 1880s, so they're pretty old. And then they took DNA measurements from their lenses in their eyes, and they uh, aged one particular bowhead whale to be 211 years old. My favourite oldie of them all <laughs> is called Adwaita. Okay. And it's a giant Aldabra tortoise and is thought to be 255 years old. Uh, I mean, why? Why? Why is it so old? Okay, well, take giant tortoises, for example. They yeah. evolved on island ecosystems where generally there weren't any major predators. Mm-hmm. So they weren't rushing around trying to mate with as many animals as possible yeah. before something ate them. So they just chilled out. They yeah. just conserving them anyway. Yeah, exactly. Some animals are thought not to age at all. Take the lobsters, for example. Once they reach adulthood, they show no signs of ageing. So we think they reach about 100 years old, but actually they could live for far longer. But I assume that not many actually live to 100 years old because they get coarse. Well, potentially. That's amazing. How how does that happen? Well, the secret to their ageing success is an enzyme known as telomerase. And that basically, yeah, that helps protect their DNA, keeps them youthful and keeps them healthy. Surely someone's put that, that, whatever you said, (laughs) in a cream or something. That needs to be in some sort of anti-ageing cream. (laughs) Yeah, but then there's another animal which has taken the boundary of age to a whole another level. What's the that? immortal jellyfish. Scientists believe that every cell in an immortal jellyfish can transfer and change, transform into any other cell in their body. So they can basically hop back and forth between their youthful polyp stage and their adult familiar kind of bell-shaped structure. So they can just pop back and forth. Just, go, keeping, re- just keeping reborn. Yeah, and they're going to be a teenager. No, I'll be an adult. And they like can Doctor Who. Yeah, so they can live forever. Okay, so the next question is from Rachel Sheridan, who asks, yep. why do crabs walk sideways? Well, actually, some crabs prefer to walk forwards and backwards, more so than walking sideways. Yeah, and actually, some of the crabs that you might see walking sideways, they can also walk forwards and backwards as well. Mm. It's just that it's far more efficient for them to walk sideways. Yeah, and a lot of that is due to their shape and lifestyle. So crabs need to be able to hide in small crevices. So they have this wide, flat body shape, which yeah. is covered with a carapace to protect yeah, themselves. Yeah, they're all kind of squashed into kind of that flat shape, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, and their joints are actually have quite a limited range of motion. Mm. So for example, oh God, they don't have uh, anything as flexible as like a ball and socket joint here. And they're actually more like the, uh, our knee joints. So, for example, their knee really only kind of goes in one plane. Sorry, Maddie. Doesn't really go left or right like that. So, as a result, it's much easier for them to go sideways. Yes, but I'm not a crab. <laughs> There's also a massive advantage to walking sideways. We have so many limbs; they just don't get in the way as much. I mean, yeah. If an animal with so many legs tried to walk forwards, it would be terribly clumsy. Yeah, they kind of don't trip over their yeah. own feet, do they? But actually, crabs can reach some pretty high speeds. The fastest crab on the planet is the ghost crab. And that can run at about one metre per second, which is pretty quick. And actually, ghost crabs have three different gates, much like a horse. So they can walk, they can trot, and they can even gallop to get to their highest speed. No and, yeah, way. It's amazing. And actually, when they do gallop and reach this one metre per second speed... Sorry, I'm just thinking of a trotting crab. Yeah, and that's me. <laughs> right? Yeah. We should do that in slow motion. It would look incredible. Yeah. But what, it gets better because when they do reach their high speeds... They push so hard that all eight legs actually come off the ground, much like a horse or even us running. The flying. Yeah, a flying. The Usain Bolt crab. of the crab world. Yeah. As mentioned, we've had lots of sexual references in today's show. And um, so I'll end off appropriately with some facts about animal nipples. Nipple protrusion varies across mammalian species. 
Gorillas have been observed to de- to, to, de- to develop erect nipples when physically aroused and beating their chests. Uh, we've seen that in the male species, I'm sure. Um, Pinnipeds, pen- including seals, sea lions and walruses, have retractable nipples that remain tucked in when pups aren't feeding on them. Adult male rats don't have nipples at all, and male horses don't have teats. Uh, the nipples of a female dog shrivel after they get spayed, and the platypus doesn't have nipples at all, but rather secretes milk through the pores of their skin. More facts next week on heavy petting here on Cliff Central with myself, Leanne Mole. Every Wednesday, 10 until 11. Up next, rookies and rock stars with Lubin Boya.